episode 238. Who will be the knights in shining armor who fix the American healthcare system? Today, I speak with Brian Klepper, PhD, from the Validation Institute. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. We have gotten ourselves into this pickle. Americans, all of us, as taxpayers, as patients, as employees, as employers, spend exorbitantly for highly variable results. Great work, great healthcare in some areas by some great physicians and their teams. And then voluminous other areas rife with overtreatment, errors, abysmal chronic care management, predatory pricing by entities owned by private equity or with billing departments gone wild. So who will be our knight in shining armor when it comes to fixing healthcare in the United States today? Will it be legislators? Will it be our current crop of large healthcare stakeholders? Will it be a self-proclaimed disruptor? like Amazon or Haven Healthcare, that Amazon Chase and Brookshire Hathaway collaboration. Today, I speak with Brian Klepper, PhD. Brian has opinions on these questions. Spoiler alert, some of the entities that Brian points to as intrinsic to the mission of fixing American healthcare are brokers who are not compensated in secret by insurance carriers. He also calls out primary care physicians and new primary care models as crucial. If you're looking for brokers of this kind, go to healthrosetta.org for a list of them. You could also listen to my podcast with David Contorno. On the primary care side of the equation, listen to my chat with Jeb Constance and also the one with Alex Lickerman. Links in the show notes. In case you have not heard of him, Brian is a healthcare analyst, commentator, and also an entrepreneur. He's exec vice president at the Validation Institute, executive analyst and editor at the Health Value Institute, and principal of Healthcare Performance Incorporated, a healthcare strategy and business development practice. He's also principal of Worksite Health Advisors, a benefits consultancy. Formerly, Brian served as the CEO of the National Business Coalition on Health, which I am sure we are all familiar with. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Ryan, welcome to Relentless Health Value. Thanks for having me. So you said the healthcare cost crisis that we are experiencing in this country as we speak can be solved in the marketplace, but not necessarily through policy. First of all, Let's just make sure that we're entirely clear on why you have come to this conclusion. Oh, well, the evidence is everywhere. In 2009, the year that the Affordable Care Act was passed, con Congress accepted $1.2 billion in campaign contributions from the healthcare industry in exchange for influence over the shape of the law. It wasn't the Democrats that wrote that law. It was the industry. And they did it because because they they did very well as a result. It was relatively inexpensive and the and the the benefits that they created for themselves would last decades. After 60 years of fee for service reimbursement, all of our care patterns and and treatment pathways are bloated and designed to be as lucrative as possible independent of whether they're good for patients and purchasers or not. 
Yeah, and I think you articulated that in a little bit different words at some juncture when you said that the healthcare system is built on a platform of excess. That's the most succinct expression of it. We do unbelievable amounts. Half or more of everything that we do in healthcare is unnecessary or inappropriate. And our, and our unit pricing is egregious. It's all designed to create as much money as possible. And it's not just that we do the wrong thing. It's, it's that we have come to depend upon doing the wrong thing because to, to keep financial performance up. Okay. So let me ask you this then, Brian. If we have a marketplace that is comprised of vested interests with every incentive from a shareholder perspective, from a revenue perspective, if we're looking at this from a purely business perspective, all signs point to continue with the current paradigm of unit costs that exceed every other country in the world and the number of units, which does too. How does the marketplace begin to fix that when they've got no incentive to do so? There are a couple of ways. The the vested interests don't have any incentive to do that. But there is only one group in America that's bigger and more powerful than than the healthcare industry, and that's everyone who's not. (laughs) At some point, American business will either walk away from covering healthcare because it's too expensive or they will come together and leverage their collective purchasing heft and and make purchases that are based on efficacy and effectiveness. This is why the Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan healthcare effort, Haven, is such a threat to the American healthcare industry. I mean, the, the math shows, and we can talk about this, but the math shows we can deliver way better quality care than we currently deliver for about half the money that we're currently paying. That's a lot. So so that's an additional trillion seven, I guess, every year that would be freed up by by that kind of change in in the economics of healthcare. And that equation is comprised of the unit costs are too high, so let's reduce the unit price. But at the same time, if we cut out wasteful, inappropriate care, then that would comprise a portion of that as well. Absolutely. You can see this trend in certain kinds of healthcare organizations that exist today. I used to run a, an on-site primary care clinic company, and the name of the game was delivering better quality care for much less money. And we would financially guarantee that within three years of implementation, our clients' costs would drop net by about 20%. And we would put that in writing. If you look at Miami, which is the most expensive healthcare market in the in the country, Humana has a very strong Medicare Advantage presence in that market, and they have contracted with primary care physician practices all over that region. They have I, I don't know, it's 15 or 18 large primary care practices, and Humana has taken 15% of the Medicare Advantage premium for themselves and handed the other 85% to, to the primary care practices. Well, they, these practices have been doing this for about five years now, and they've gotten really, really good at managing that risk. So you've got much better outcomes coming out of those practices than, than you get in conventional primary care practices. And all of the primary care doctors who are working in these programs are making close to or more than a million dollars a year because there is so much slop to be cut out of the system. 
So if the incentives are built in correctly, there's every reason to, to believe that, that, there's, that it's easy to, to knock huge amounts of money out of the system. There's been a lot written about what's going on in the south of Florida, but maybe um, that's the easiest place to do it because the bar is very, very low. <laughs> in, the, in the places where you have the most excess, it's the easiest to, to, to get rid of that excess. And you're, you're exactly right. Well, let me ask you this. So we're talking about who the disruptors are. And one of the categories that you've pointed out is that 20% of our GDP is involved in healthcare, but that means 80% isn't. So you've got the 80% who have a vested interest as far as their own revenue and business performance goes and the productivity of their employees to see that healthcare is optimized. If we're talking about, you'd mentioned Haven, which is the Amazon Berkshire Hathaway and Chase collaboration, and they have a stated mission to improve the quality and, and reduce the cost of healthcare that's available in this country today. But are they going to be, in your opinion, Brian, let's just say the allure of the money on the table is going to distract them from doing the right thing? That that remains to be seen. I, I've written a lot about this possibility. And one of the things that I always put in is we shouldn't get too enthralled with the solution because they could be just the devil that we don't know. They may look like our savior today, but it works out the same with Google. You know, Google came out originally and, and had a had a slogan of don't be evil. Well, apparently they and all the other tech companies have decided that being evil is more lucrative. And we we don't know that Amazon is going to be any different in healthcare. And you can see this as well in, in the shadow pricing of Kaiser. For, for years, we've heard Kaiser can do better quality care for 40% lower than the market, but they were shadow pricing at about 7 or 8% below the premiums that were offered by other health plans. And if, if they were pressed on the topic, they would admit that they, they followed the money. They decided to price themselves higher because that, that was easy money that additional 30%. So the human condition is susceptible to high enticements. If policymakers can't be entrusted to fix this fandango that we've gotten ourselves into, and we were, are relying on the marketplace to do so, and we've got 80% of the employers out there who sooner or later are going to need to come to a point of reckoning that you can't afford to provide healthcare anymore. But you can't trust those that have raised the flag and said they're going to do something about it. This sounds very daunting. So give me a ray of hope, Brian. Like, what should we be doing right now? I guess my view is that this is one of those places where markets are really desirable. You know, markets are dispassionate and they, and they favor better health, in, in the case of healthcare, better health outcomes and, and or lower costs. And so if, the, if, we have a, if we have a healthcare marketplace where we can see those things and see who's performing, then we have a much better shot of, of having a purchaser community that uses those tools and makes the decisions accordingly. I'm involved with all kinds of employers, Boeing, Intel, Whole Foods Market, Burlington Northern Santa Fe, Michelin, BMW, and all of them to a one are paying very, very close attention to how much they're paying, how, what percentage of, of the, care, the care and the cost is waste, and what they can do about it in a way that they never have before. 
there's a renaissance going on. I, I've never been more uh, optimistic about about American healthcare than I have in the last two or three years because I can see that it's actually changing. So you have these larger employers that it sounds like are embarking on missions of transparency, if I was going to paraphrase what you you said. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. And obviously, you know, a lot has been said about the air quotes marketplace of healthcare that it's not actually a true marketplace for a number of different reasons. One of them is that a marketplace is comprised of transactions and a transaction is between a knowing buyer and a knowing seller. And they both know the price before engaging, which is not the case with healthcare as it currently stands. But I am talking at the patient level, whereas if what we're talking about is at the ultimate purchaser level, which in some cases is the patient, but a lot of times who we're talking about here in a big way is the employers. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that these employers do have access to pricing information and they do have access to quality information. Do you want to, you know, maybe explain Bound on the how and the wherefore. Sure. Let me give you, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, and it'll it'll help. Let me give you a couple of examples. There is a company in Tallahassee, Florida, that specializes in management of musculoskeletal conditions. For the uninitiated, musculoskeletal conditions comprise about twenty percent of all of everything we spend in group health, and about eighty percent of everything we spend in occupational health. So together, it's about 27, 28% of total spend. And as I said before, about half of, of musculoskeletal activity in the, U, in the U.S. is unnecessary or inappropriate, which means we spend double what we should be spending on it. So it's an absolutely huge amount of money. Just the things that we do in musculoskeletal care that shouldn't have happened at all, that one set of activities, the inappropriate activity in musculoskeletal care is equal to about 2.5% of the entire U.S. GDP. It's a breathtaking number. Mm -hmm. This company in Tallahassee has has developed a new approach based on a physical therapy approach to managing musculoskeletal care, and they now have about 850,000 patient encounters under their belt, and they've tracked the data very carefully, as have their clients. And the data show unequivocally that they get way better health outcomes outcomes here being things like pain reduction, range of motion, activities of daily living. And they, they do it in half the recovery time and at half the cost of conventional orthopedics. They will make a financial guarantee that if you work with them, they will reduce your musculoskeletal costs by 25% on the patients that they touch, which translates to a minimum of about a 4 to 5% reduction in total healthcare spend just in this one area. That's an enormous amount of money. The real truth is, is that they will financially guarantee that level of that level of reduction, but they're more likely to get an eight or nine percent reduction in total total healthcare spend. That's a very doable activity. The health plans aren't particularly pleased about it because, because at the end of the day, if healthcare costs more, they make more. So they are not they're not big supporters of organizations that that make healthcare better and cost and cost less because it drives down their take. I just want to interject just in case anyone is uh, using your terminology before a bit uninitiated. 
It is a little bit unintuitive. Everyone thinks that insurance carriers have a grand vested interest to keep costs down, but that actually turns out not to be the case. And we're not going to discuss the economics of it here, but just putting it out there. Let me put one point on that. If you look at the growth of stock price of the major health plans, just using Humana as an example, between May of 2009 and September of 2018, Humana had a 29% stock price growth per quarter for 37 quarters. It's an ungodly, breath. it's just a breathtaking stock price growth. And it had to do with the, with the growth of, of healthcare cost and and volume over this period following the the passage of the ACA. So they're not likely to be to be active in creating the answers. They're they're likely to be the to be the status quo. The other thing that I was going to to point out is that organizations like Walmart have been making forays into things like centers of excellence. If you're diagnosed with cancer, Walmart wants you to go with a family member to Mayo, I, I think it's still Mayo, to be diagnosed again and, and be set up for a treatment plan. And they will they will pay for it because they have found over time that Mayo is not only a superb provider clinically, but they're also an ethical provider. If they find that, that you don't have cancer in the first place, they'll just send you home. They won't they won't just take advantage and do the procedure on you. So there are organizations like this that have on their own blazed new trails and are doing healthcare far differently than we were doing it 10 years ago. That's a big change. The trick now is to is to be able to get those same kinds of processes down to the rank and file of business that, that's buying healthcare around the country. So you gave two examples there. One of them is making a dent in the MSK, the muscular skeletal spend, which as you said is roughly well, a little less than a third of total healthcare spend and the ability to cut that down significantly. And then the second one that you had mentioned was the the cancer care, which also can significantly contribute to spend. If within an employee population, you get a couple of people who have cancer in any given year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's for many employers, cancer, cancer costs are approximating 20% of total spend now. So it's interesting that that the examples that you gave are designed to very specifically make a dent in the highest problem areas, as opposed to getting lost in the total hairball. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to come up with some general solution that, you know, these are very targeted, laser focused initiatives, it sounds like. Well, they're where the money is. Let's put a exclamation point on that. The place where the money is not is wellness. And we've spent 20 years now focused on corporate wellness when there's no data to show that it really it really works. These approaches that I'm talking about follow where the money is. You know, what are the what are the, the biggest cost areas in healthcare? Well, they're they're musculoskeletal, they're cardiometabolic care, they're drug management. Their large claims and their resolution, their claims review. You can recover five, six percent of total spend by just having a claims audit done and making sure that every claim that you that you're getting is appropriate. One way to think about this, Stacy, is we're not just talking about managing care, we're talking about managing healthcare clinical and financial risk. And that each one of these solutions that I'm describing 
is really a risk management module, a very highly specialized module. Got it. Okay. So I'm making a list here, Brian. And it's the, what do you need? What are the must-haves in the managing clinical and financial risk list? The first thing is with an exclamation point, focus where the dollars are. We had the muscular skeletal, we had the onc example. So if those diabetes is usually right up there. So if we're going to focus on something, pick programs, pick initiatives that are going to go straight after the heart of these outsize costs, number one. And then secondly, the dollars that you are spending, you had mentioned a claims audit because so many of them are actually just wrong. Right. So for example, in hospital claims, typically between 17 and 25% of all of the money that's been paid to hospitals will come into question and can be recovered, which translates to 5 to 10% of total healthcare spend, an enormous amount of money. So these are very practical, well-tested approaches that pay big dividends and together they can change the system. You know, I'm going to add another thing to our list, Brian. I'm game. And I'm summarizing or or collating bits and pieces of what you said into this category. And that's going to be making sure that the vendors that are used are, I'm just going to cotton onto the term high performance vendors. And you alluded to this in the selection of Mayo. As you said, they are ethical, they have a mission, they have a vision, and they can be trusted to do the right thing. But I'm also including in my definition of, you know, high performance, things like, for example, the organization that you mentioned in Florida, the musculoskeletal organization, which has proven literature. So if I am an employer and I am trying to maximize or optimize my healthcare spend, then ensuring I'm working with the right institutions and organizations, I could definitely see are going to be imperative. No, I think that's exactly right. There are brokers around the country who have had an epiphany and are no longer accepting commissions on their cases from the from the health plans and are saying, I'll accept an annual fee and I'll I work specifically for the employer. I don't for the union. I don't work for the health plan. When you get that kind of sea change, everything begins to change. Uh, There's a there's a, a young broker who's gotten quite a bit of of attention and and visibility, a guy by the name of David Contorno. This is simply a better way. Yeah. And David Contorno was on the Relentless Health Value podcast, episode 186. And that show, you're going to like this, Brian, his quote, which we titled the show was, the only way to pay less for healthcare is to pay less for healthcare. (laughs) Right. right. Yeah. He's a wit too. Uh, There's another broker who's similar to this, but in a very different fish pond by the name of Lee Lewis, who works for Gallagher, who brings these kinds of solutions to very large, to jumbo companies and is penetrating that market. I I guess the point is, and from where I sit, it's very clear, to use an old Bush term, there are a thousand points of light in the healthcare marketplace right now. There are hundreds or thousands of companies that have high subject matter expertise in some area of healthcare, clinical, or financial risk management, they are absolutely confident that they can get way better results than, than conventional approaches. And they're, they're all bringing these to market. For people like me, I, I get five to 10 calls a week from different companies that want to tell me how wonderful they are. And more and more of them by the day, it turns out, are in fact way better than, than what's currently available. 
This also speaks to the work that we've been doing at the Validation Institute that uh, set itself out to validate the performance claims of healthcare vendors on behalf of healthcare purchasers. It provides independent third-party review to help healthcare organizations prove that the performance claims that they're making are actually reflective of the reality of what you'll get if you, if you use them. And if an organization is validated by us, it means that you have a pretty, pretty high, high confidence that what you get is what you were promised. The examples that you mentioned earlier, for example, the muscular skeletal company that's operating in South Florida, did they go through the Validation Institute? And that's how you can claim with such evidence that they are exactly who they say they are. So this is a way for employers to fulfill that third item on our list, which is work with high performance vendors. Yes, that's absolutely true. And it's very exciting. I mean, when you run across an organization in a, in a healthcare niche, pick an area, allergy management, sleep management, places that you don't really think about. There's an allergy management company out of Wisconsin, and it turns out they get way better health outcomes at about half the cost of conventional allergy management. So is the reason why selecting a broker, for example, or using consultants with a transparent payment path? In other words, if an employer is working with someone who's being paid by a third party, then basically they're working for the third party, not for you. Right. So you're working with a broker who is, in fact, your vendor. Advocate. Advocate. Right. You know, like if, if they're your vendor, then they're your advocate. And there's a lot of opportunity here. Healthcare is a platform that's built on excess, as you just said. So there's a lot of opportunity to not do the right thing at great financial reward to parties involved. Everything that we're just talking about, if an employer wants to be really confident that they're getting steered to the uh, high performance vendor or given options and opportunities, you really have to trust the person that's making those suggestions. So is that why working with one of these brokers is so important? And would you go as far to say that it's essential? Like if an employer is not working with one of these brokers, is it definitely going to lead to problems? Yeah, it's it's a matter. There, there are two issues. One, one is simply a trust matter. How do you know who you can trust? Following your logic, which I agree with completely, I think it's very important for employers and unions to turn to the broker that they use and demand a written statement that they are not taking any other money and that they will be fully accountable for, for the money that they receive from any sources associated with them and make that clear. But the other issue is, how do you trust the, the decisions that they're, that they're promoting? You, they need to be able to share the data with you and, and, and show why it is that they're so high on these, on these vendors. I certainly do that with all of my clients. I show them who they've been validated by and, and what raised our interest in the first place and how we go about it in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that the other advantage maybe of... I don't mean to sort of pile on one point of view here, but I'm not exactly sure how it would be possible in a way to, to defend anything else. You know, one of the things that a, a transparent broker tends to do is ensure that this data is available. Whereas if someone is effectively the subcontractor for an insurance carrier or other party, 
then they have vested interests to keep the data a secret from the employer. And they do a very good job at that, <laughs> in my experience. Right. Yeah. They're dancing and it's, a, it's an old, you know, it's an outdated profession in many ways. And they're trying to continue getting the same kind of financial performance that they've, that they've achieved up until now. An organization that's done a lot of really good work in that area is the Health Rosetta, founded by Dave Chase. For those of you who follow this sort of thing, I wrote the foreword to Dave Chase's book. We're all headed the same direction. This has to do with having an, an outcomes accountable healthcare marketplace, which is competitive and where every, everything is up for grabs. So let me ask you this, Brian. If I am an insurance carrier, one of the BUCAs, uh, for example, meaning Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Anthem, and Aetna, or like Humana, as you mentioned before, what should I be doing right now? You know, like, so say I'm a manager, I'm a director who's working for one of these larger carriers. And I, I actually do have my heart in the right place. Like, I want to be doing the right thing. Is there any opportunity within the context of those organizations to start making positive change in the ways that we're talking about? Yeah, and I think that many organizations are. I, there are many health plans that are really focused very hard on value-based health care. I think that the bottom line is going to be, and this has been the problem with ACOs, of course, is are they willing to make less money? We pay, you know, a premium of a 200% premium in uh, in America on healthcare, and it's not justified. So fundamentally, we have to ask an entire industry to downsize and take less. And it's very doable, but it's going to be painful. I mean, that's been the issue with uh, with ACOs, as I said, that an ACO was required to fundamentally, if they're, if they're doing their job right, to give better health care and make less. And who wants to do that? That's going to be the conundrum. There will be many organizations in healthcare that fail because they just won't be able to rise to managing better. I mean, the, the obvious solution is, is to grow your volume at the expense of your competitors and win like that. But there will only be some organizations that do that. Is there any sort of analogy that can be learned from other industries who have been forced to downsize in this way? And they still do very well. Thank you very much. I, I think that's very much happening. And I think, I think it's not going to be at all unlikely. Primary care is going to make a major resurgence. They're going to drive changes to care and cost patterns and drive more appropriateness. And they're going to be an active player in management of the full continuum risk, both clinical and financial. I, I think all kinds of things are up for grabs and will change. It's hard to know exactly how it'll all play out. But certainly there, there are certain trends that will absolutely occur. There's, there's no question. Big changes coming. If I'm a provider organization, what should I be thinking about right now? Generally speaking, you talk about a hospital, you talk about an insurance company, you, you talk about any large healthcare stakeholder. You can't just flip a switch, as we all know well, <laughs> that any type of change that's going to happen takes a while. So if we are headed towards some sort of inflection point that is a coming, or let's just say there's a lot of risk there that it is to these organizations, 
what's your advice to them? Like, how should they be talking about this? So say someone listening is not in senior management, you know, what information should they be handing up to the C-suite in defense or, or in order to express the value proposition of taking action at this time urgently? And then what do you think they should be doing? Well, you can see this with certain trends like reference-based pricing, which effectively pays hospitals less than they're used to making, as well as uh, on-site primary care clinic companies. Hospitals are, are now coming to employers saying, we'll manage your clinic. And that used to be a, a thing that you absolutely didn't want to do because if they, if they got the contract, they were going to set it up so that their doctors referred early and often into the mothership and drove up your costs. What's happening now is that hospitals are absolutely agreeing to do reference-based pricing in exchange for volumes, and they're, they're trying to negotiate a, a slightly higher rate than the one that would be standard, but they want the business. They, they don't want to walk away from the business. And hospitals are, are saying, we will manage care in the right way to make you a long-term client and to get the volume, and, and we will try to grow our business as a result. There are fundamental, very profound changes that are happening. They're very welcome and very exciting. I think what you're referring to there is in the past, doctors who are employees, and this is no, there's no judgment associated with this. You're going to refer within that network, which is sometimes good, but sometimes that network might not be the best at that particular specialty. As you mentioned before, you know, that's why Walmart is flying people to centers of excellence, because there are MSK muscular skeletal superstars, and there are oncology superstars, and they might not necessarily be the hospital that's down the street. So I could still see some issues unless hospitals are really fundamentally driven and incented to ensure that or the employer is controlling just at the outset. If you have this particular, you know, insert disease state here, then you're going there. And they've figured out how to do the steerage on their own. So they're not relying on the PCP owned by a hospital to create that navigation. Yeah, any, anybody who's, who's taking care of an employer's interests is going to insist that there be a PCP-driven system because otherwise it's unaccountable. I think these changes are happening and, and they're accelerating. They're not just popping up, but they're accelerating and, they're, and they've got stickiness. Very exciting to see. Very heartening. Are there certain areas of the country which are way ahead of other areas? Like who would you point to as maybe a geography that has a head start here? Probably the South, I would think. There's a lot of activity going on in um, Georgia, believe it or not. North Carolina and South Carolina has a lot of activity like this. And it ha- a lot of it has to do with the presence of large corporations, Michelin, Boeing, GE, BMW. They're all in South Carolina, for example, and they're all involved in things like this. Mohawk in Georgia, very progressive. And who's behind? Probably the Southwest is somewhat behind the Northeast is probably somewhat behind. It's hard to know. I could be wrong about those. I had someone tell me yesterday that the Northeast had issues relative to exactly what we're talking about here. So change is hard. And the, the more you've got your hooks into somebody, the harder it is to change. If somebody is interested in learning more about what you've written, Brian, or more information about the Validation Institute or any of your other causes or organizations that you work with, where should they go for more information? For more information on me, go to a website called careandcost.com. 
I'm easy to reach. I'm at bclepper at gmail.com. And the Validation Institute is validationinstitute.com. And they are a wonderful organization. I'm very pleased to be associated with them. And we've got a website that's very explanatory. Brian Klepper, thank you so much for being on the Relentless Health Value podcast today. Thank you, Stacey. This has been a wonderful time. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.